May the words of my mouth and meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. You don't have to be terribly familiar with the Bible to know that Jesus doesn't always get on very well with these folks called Pharisees. In fact, they seem oftentimes to be diametrically opposed to one another, Jesus and the Pharisees. But the Pharisees, you might be surprised to know, were not bad people. Actually, quite the opposite. They are devout people who were um, devout Jews who were, who were committed to living faithfully to the Torah. They, com- they were committed to the ancient ways. They were, um, they were your conservatives' conservatives in, the, uh, in terms of the Bible. Don't think in terms of politics, but in terms of the Bible. They were, um, they were at odds with people who were um, selling out the country uh, to the Romans, and, and they wanted to be faithful even if it, it cost them all sorts of things. And so they were... They were committed, faithful Jews. To speak of the Pharisees, though, is sort of to speak of people like um, other groups, so, you know, whatever politics you might want to say, Republicans or Democrats, to, say, we, we, to caricaturize all of them as being one thing or another is, is to go very far afield. And we know this. We know it's not fair. We still do it, but we, we know it's not fair. And so to speak of the, of the Pharisees, or the Sadducees, really, even for that matter, although a little bit easier there, is to sort of caricature them in ways that aren't altogether true or fair. Um, The reason that Jesus and the Pharisees were often in conflict with one another was not because of what he was saying or what he was doing, but why and how and where he did these things. It's the the specifics of what he was doing that caused so much problem. he would go around, for instance, and preach about the kingdom of God, which the Pharisees would love. They would tickle their ears. They would be thrilled to hear talk about the kingdom of God. But it was the little things. It was the little things that bothered them. It wasn't that he healed people. It was how he healed people. For instance, there's a story um, just a little bit before the passage in Luke's Gospel today where... Um, these friends have the, this fourth friend. There are uh, four fellows who have a fifth friend, who, and they want to bring him to Jesus because he's crippled, and they want him to get well. And so he's on a cot, and they carry him to Jesus. And, and actually, Luke says they, they dropped him down through the roof because they couldn't get him through the, the crowd. And Jesus sees the faith of their friend, of the friends, and says to the man who's crippled, "Your sins are forgiven. Get up, take your cot, and walk." And the Pharisees get angry, not because Jesus healed the man, but because he said, your sins are forgiven. Who can forgive sins but God alone? It's the how that caused them such problem. Um, on another occasion, Jesus and his friends are walking through a field and they're plucking wheat. Um, you're allowed to do this in ancient Israel. If you're poor, you're allowed to go through a field and just pluck whatever wheat is there and, and take it home and, and make bread out of it. And so Jesus and his friends are plucking wheat out in a field, and they're doing it on a Sabbath day. And Pharisees see them, and they say, hey, you're not allowed to do that. Don't you know the fourth commandment? You know that you honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. You're not allowed to work, and that's work. And Jesus responds to the Pharisees, but I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. And they don't like that. They don't want to hear that. This is, this is blasphemy to their ears. It's the little things that got him in so much uh, hot water with the Pharisees. In today's gospel, though, it's a little odd. There are some Pharisees who warn Jesus about potential danger. 
They're actually trying to help him. They warn him that this fellow um, uh, Herod is out to get him. They warn him about physical danger. And so you see, even in Luke's gospel, the Pharisees aren't all bad. They're, they're sort of like um, uh, you know, the people who read the opposite newspaper of you. Just because they're uh, not in the same boat all the time doesn't mean they're bad people. And so the Pharisees give Jesus a warning. Watch out for Herod. He's after you. Here's what Luke says. At that hour, while Jesus is teaching about the kingdom of God, some Pharisees came to him and said, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. It's a genuine warning. Watch out. There's somebody who's out to get you. I don't know what you would have done if somebody had come to you and said, I've got news. The king wants to kill you. But I know what Joe would have done. I would not have waited around for the next train or bus or camel. I would have sprinted out of that region, wouldn't you? I would have run. I would have, have run, have run. I would have moved quickly out of that neighborhood. I don't want to be anywhere around that sort of thing. Because, you know, Herod's not just some local thug. He's a king. He's a king who one time had a young woman come in and do a strip tease for him and was so thrilled by her, he promised her anything she wanted. She, she was a daughter of a, of a woman who hated John the Baptist. And so the stripper says to him, to the king, I want the head of John the Baptist on a plate. And he does it. This is the kind of person Herod is. If he threatens you, it's not a, you know, a, a tepid threat. It's not a loose threat. It's a real thing. And, and here are these uber-Orthodox Jews come to Jesus and say, look, this guy is out to kill you. Get out of here. Scoop. You know, get along. And here's Jesus' reaction. He said to them, to the Pharisees, go tell that fox. He's talking to Herod. Go tell that fox, Herod. Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. And the third day, I finish my course. It's a little difficult because of the, uh, the, the Semitic idioms. Um, I'm here every day. He, he, he can find me right here. He knows where to find me. Um, Eugene Peterson translated like this. Tell that fox I have no time for him right now. Today and tomorrow I'm busy cleaning out demons and healing the sick. The third day I'm wrapping things up. <laughs> you know, here's where I, I'm going to be here for a little while. You know, if you want me, come find me. You've seen enough mobster movies. You've watched the news enough. You know that when somebody makes threats, you know, it's not a good thing to say blah, 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 I don't pay no attention to it. You know, you don't ignore those threats when they come from credible sources. And one thing you don't do is you don't poke the bear, right? You don't ignore it, and you don't poke the bear. Tell that fox, that for you that might sound like a compliment, it's not. Tell that scoundrel, that, that, that crafty scoundrel cheat, I've got things to do, I'm not, not, not to be bothered with him. Jesus not only ignores the warning, he pokes the bear. And I'm thinking to myself, well, well, that's a fascinating story, but why does Luke tell us this story? Why is this part of the travel to Jerusalem motif? Does he want us to think of Jesus as sort of some tough guy with a lot of kutzpah? You know, he's a, he's a, uh, he's a bad dude. He's, a, he's an ornery James Dean kind of rebel. You know, oh, I can take this. I don't think says it at all. I don't think that's the point. 
I think he wants us to see Jesus as somebody who knows his vocation. He knows his mission. His mission is to go to Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. This is what Jesus says, right? The city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. That's where I'm going. I'm going to Jerusalem. So why isn't he afraid of Herod? Because he knows Herod can't do anything to him. He has a mission. God will see him to his mission. His mission is not going to be easy. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be very difficult. He is going to die. But Herod will have nothing to do with it. He will not die because of what Herod threat. And, and that's exactly what happens. So how does it work for us? How does this passage work for us? I think first and primarily, Jesus models courage. He models courage. There is no promise to any of us that God's call upon our lives is going to be easy. If you think, if you've heard, if you think that somehow it's been suggested that following Christ is a life of ease and comfort, let me disabuse you of that notion right now. It is not. It is not a life of ease. And if you bought into that idea, you bought into the wrong idea. The road that goes to the kingdom of God leads through the cross. It always leads through the cross. I mean, the truth is, if you don't follow Christ, <laughs> it's not going to be a life of ease. What does Wesley say in The Princess Bride? Life is pain, princess. Anyone tells you otherwise, they're selling you something. You know, there's difficulty in following Christ. It requires courage. But I think it also models love. I think Jesus not only models courage, he models love. He loves Jerusalem. He knows that his ultimate vocation is going to end in his death. And yet what does he say? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I would gather you as a hen gathers her chicks. I mean, it's a maternal, loving, you know, uh, embracing notion that he would gather them in that way. Even though he knows he will die, he continues steadfastly on his path, on his mission, because this is what God has given to him, and he does it in love. Now, here's the big payoff. You and I have a vocation as well. And you say, oh, no, you're the one who has to dress funny at church. It's not me. I don't have a vocation. No, you do. You have a vocation as well. If you're baptized, you have a vocation. We are called to be agents of reconciliation, to reconcile people to God. This is your vocation. This is my vocation, to be agents of God in the world, to make friends and to help those friends come to know the Lord, to be helpful and kind and generous, to be ambassadors of Christ everywhere that we go to lead men and women, boys and girls, to faith in Jesus Christ and to be reconciled to God. That is your vocation. That is my vocation. That is every baptized person's vocation. How do we do it? We do it with courage and with love. That we're not afraid to be witnesses and actually speak for Christ wherever we go whether it's in the hardware store or the grocery store or at work, that we can speak up for Christ. I know that you can post a little meme on Facebook. I'm not talking about that. That's good, beautiful, do that. Instagram, whatever your gig is. Um, but I mean, speak for, speak for Christ. To speak up and to, and to be a witness in the world. To do it with love. Now, 
I don't mean be pushy or arrogant. <laughs> no, that's not, in, that's not loving. Don't be that kind of person. The choice is not whether or not to be pushy or not to be pushy. The choice is whether we're going to be courageous or we're going to be cowards. The choice is whether we're going to do it in love or we're going to be apathetic to the world. That's the choices of how we carry out our vocation. Did you notice that all the texts today, the Old Testament passage, Abraham, Abraham is this fascinating story where he cuts all these animals in half because what happens is you cut these animals in half and, and then it's, a, it's a, like a, a contract. It's called a covenant. And each person has to walk through where all this blood kind of goes down all over your feet and your clothes. And, and you walk through and you look at these animals that are cut in half and one's on one side and one's on the other. And you're saying to the person with whom you're making this covenant, if I break the terms of this, you can do to me what I did to these animals. Abraham is terrified. God is making a contract with him that he knows he can't keep. Notice that Abraham never walks through. Only this theophany, this firing pot, and this flaming sword, it passes through. The Lord is present. He passes through as if to say to Abraham, I will bear the responsibilities of this covenant for you and for me. If I break it or if you break it, you can do this to me. The psalm, the Lord is my light and my salvation, of whom then shall I be afraid? The, old, the, the New Testament passage, St. Paul is in prison and he writes to the, the Philippians, you know, be of good courage. Don't be afraid. I know you see me in prison. You know that I'm about to die. Don't be afraid. All these passages telling us the same thing. William Barclay, um, the Scottish uh, uh, theologian, writes the story about, um, about Hugh Latimer. Hugh Latimer was the, the chaplain to King Henry VIII in the 16th century. And if you are the preacher to the king, I mean, that's a pretty heavy responsibility. You all are like royalty to me, <laughs> but none of you are actual royalty. You know, that you, if you're the preacher to the king, big challenge. And one Sunday, um, Barclay says, Latimer is preaching and the king is present in the congregation at the church. And it must have been a particularly thorny issue because Latimer voices what the people in the congregation must have been thinking, like, tread lightly, you know. <laughs> the king has broken this, com this commandment. This is not a good place to go. And so Latimer says, speaking for the people, Latimer, 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 be, be careful. The king is present in the congregation today. And then Latimer says, Latimer, 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 be careful. Because the king of kings is in the congregation today. Henry VIII's daughter, Mary, had Hugh Latimer and another fellow, Nicholas Ridley, executed by being burned at the stake in Oxford not long after he did this. And Latimer's last words to, to Nicholas Ridley were these. Be of good comfort, Mr. Ridley, and play the man. A, a, a middle ages way of saying, be of good courage. Play the man. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust shall never be put out. Don't be afraid. Even when the fires are burning around you, be of good courage. Trust in the Lord. Courage and love. 
That's how Christ carries out his vocation. That's how we are called to carry out our, our vocation. That is how we can reconcile the world to God. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.